In June of 1812, the United States of America declared war on Great Britain and its colonies, including what is now Canada. War raged for over two years as American armies fought against British regulars, Canadian militia, and native allies in this small, bitterly contested war. To many, this war is the Forgotten War. Very little outside of the fall of Major General Brock, the brave walk of Laura Secord, and the death of native leader Tecumseh is remembered today. But this war has not only affected the lives of those who lived through it, including many who lived in what is today the city of Mississauga, but it also shaped the destiny of North America and the fortunes of Canada and the United States. The War of 1812 was a small war compared to the major conflict happening in Europe at the time. Britain was engaged in a 20-year war with France, uh, not fighting alone and fighting uh, primarily in uh, the Iberian Peninsula and at sea. Uh, but Britain had powerful allies on the land, including Russia, Austria, the German states, and this was a, a world war. So the war with the United States was a, an irritant more than anything else. And, uh, of course, the United States was not a major naval power, so they couldn't attack Britain directly. So the obvious target was Britain's possessions in North America, Canada. And the, uh, it was the last war in which the natives played a major role. Uh, they were allied primarily to Britain, although some served with the United States. But they were an important factor because there wasn't enough white troops in Canada to fight effectively, so the Native Alliance was extremely important, and it's the last time they were a major power in a war. First Nations people played a significant role during the War of 1812. Strategic alliances saw many Native groups, including those led by Shawnee War Chief Tecumseh, allied to the British Crown at the onset of the war. Early in the war, Native allies played crucial roles in several British victories over invading American forces and were vital to the defense of Canada. First Nations were involved in a struggle to preserve not only their traditional territories, but also their way of life. In the aftermath of the war, it is arguably the First Nations people who lost the most, as they lost the ability to self-govern themselves on their own land. Why should we go to war? Will we go to war? Our chiefs are debating but a warrior must choose for himself. If our land is at stake, if the Americans drive out the British, what little of our lands we have left will be taken, and we in turn, as a people, will be driven away and worse. There is no true choice. Our great father in England has promised to uphold his duty to life and land. And although we caution by the promise he may fail, what other choice we have left? We must try to preserve ourselves, our way of life, or wither on the vine without a word. With musket, with tomahawk, with club, with blood, I will fight for our home and our land. We have no other choice. Storm clouds of impending war had been gathering for years. The fledgling United States of America and Great Britain had come close to war leading up to 1812, notably in 1807 with the Chesapeake Affair. Leading up to the outbreak of hostilities in 1812, 
American discontent was not unfounded. Heading up the list of complaints was the British policy of impressment, the blockading of trading ports, and what was perceived by American interests as British support for native unrest in the Northwest. On June 1st of 1812, American President James Madison sent a message to Congress outlining American grievances against Britain. After much deliberation, the House of Representatives and the Senate voted in favor of declaring war and the closest vote for war in American history. On June 18th of 1812, President Madison signed the resolution into law and war was officially declared. Well, it looks like what the boys down at the Ingersoll Inn has said is true. I'm just reading the paper here, and it has come to pass. The Americans have declared war on Great Britain. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just spent 27 years in New Brunswick, and I finally get a chance to get some good land here in Upper Canada, and I've barely got time to get my farm started, and now I'm being called to service. I'm 41, so I guess I'm on the lucky side. I may not have to fight. My father-in-law, Thomas Marigold, He's the captain of the regiment, and since I do have an education, he'll probably make me the adjutant. That'll give me the opportunity to at least keep the records, and I may be able to avoid fighting in battle. Although I am going to have to help all these young militiamen train. Most of them have no more experience than I do. Some of them are younger than me. Most of them are farmers. They're yeomen. They're blacksmiths. They have no skills. They're going to have to learn to fight new. And I'm hoping most of them will survive, and I fear for a lot of them, they may never return to their homes. The British Crown faced many uncertainties leading up to the war. For British officers, it was a question of allegiance and loyalty of the citizenry of Upper Canada. Many were American by birth and still had strong family ties to the United States. It was uncertain as to how the population would react to war. Whispers, rumors, and rumblings spread throughout Upper Canada, and the newspaper, the Upper Canada Gazette, carried news of the declaration of war. The decision whether to take up arms would have been a difficult one. It would have tested the very fabric of society and family, tested their resolve, courage, and loyalty. Some were sons and daughters of loyalists. Some were American-born. Some had questionable motives and loyalties. Some had a proud military tradition and would have chomped at the bit to carve out their own glorious legacy in war. Some still had family and friends in the United States. But most were simply yeoman farmers and craftsmen who had never taken up arms before. Now that war is a certainty, Every man will have to choose where he stands. For those of us who have sworn an oath, there's only one honorable choice, to oppose the Yankee aggressor. Doing our duty requires sacrifice, and the war will not be won without every man paying his dues in sweat and in blood. As captain in the militia, I will be calling upon men to uphold their oaths, to leave their farms and their families and to follow me into war. The uh, British Army in Canada was commanded by Governor uh, Sir George Prevost, who was a career diplomat 
and an excellent uh, an excellent man at, at marshalling his resources effectively. He knew that he wasn't uh, in any way able to get the sort of military uh, machine he needed, so he needed to have uh, clever, innovative people and do a lot with a little. His man in Upper Canada was Sir Isaac Brock, uh, who was uh, a very energetic uh, leader. He was both the military and civilian uh, head of state in Upper Canada at the time. So he was the lieutenant governor, or acting in that capacity, um, and as well as the military commander. And Brock was able to uh, energize the population and help them in the defense. And the war in Canada was always intended to be a defensive war. The British lacked the resources to fight offensively. So even when Brock attacked places like Detroit, it was mainly to strengthen the defense. In forming the Militia, the Militia Act allowed for able-bodied men between the ages of 16 and 60 and capable of bearing arms to be enrolled and trained in a militia system. The Militia supported the British Regular Army. Revisions to the Militia Act as the war progressed allowed for the formation of flank companies which were to receive additional training for use in combat situations. Initially, militia volunteers had to provide their own clothing, muskets, and ammunitions, but only gradually did the militia come to be outfitted partially by the Crown as the war went on. The 2nd Regiment of York is a unit to which I am proud. Simple men, but stern and focused on their duty. We have more than 50 volunteers with firearms, ready to answer the call. Myself and Captain Marigold, as well as Ensign Cody, have assembled the men into three companies, with several others serving in flank companies. Toronto Township is admirably represented by the finest quality of volunteer, and if the other townships bring forward men of equal quality, I am confident we can drive back the Yanks. At the beginning of the War of 1812, there were only about 1,200 regular British soldiers in Upper Canada, so it was important to supplement the defence with the use of militia. And prior to the war, the militia had always been called out for training days, but they had never taken it terribly seriously. It was more of a social get-together, and the government realised that they had to make a much more effective fighting force out of the militia. So they did things like organise flank companies and volunteer units from the militia to increase their effectiveness. The militia fought well in certain battles, uh, for example at uh, Queenston Heights and at Lundy's Lane they were very effective contributors. At other battles, they, like the Battle of York for example, they really didn't even show up for the battle. Um, so they were, they were spotty, uh, they were civilian soldiers, they were more probably committed to their home and family than a regular soldier would be, but it was important to have those numbers even if they just relieved the regular soldiers in doing duties that uh, the regulars could be relieved from. So they were an effective part of the defense of the province. Volunteer militiamen from Toronto Township, now the city of Mississauga, were involved in various capacities during the war. Some served in support-oriented duties with the embodied militia of the 2nd Regiment of the York Militia, while others saw military action in 1812 as volunteer members of the 1st and 2nd Flank Companies of the 2nd York. 
1813 and 1814, as the militia became reorganized, some of our militiamen served with the Volunteer Battalion of Incorporated Militia of Upper Canada, and others with the Royal Artillery Drivers, also known as the Car Brigade, and in the Commissariat, or the Wagon Department. I'm a child of the American Revolution. I grew up hearing stories of the honor of duty and the glory of battle. But now that I'm the one doing the fighting, I'm not so anxious. There's too many unanswered questions for me. How long is this war gonna drag on? And how far away might I get sent to do battle? If I get sent far enough away, I may never see my wife and my infant daughter for years. I may never see them again. And in the meantime, this farm is empty. No one's here to care for the animals, to turn the crops, to take care of this house. I'm concerned that even if the king wins this war and wins it soon, I may return to a farm that's decimated not by battle, but by neglect.